we are live and we are in the Burger King broiler. Oh! <laughs> Welcome to Triple A Live, everybody. Episode 8 here at the Call to Action podcast. I'm your host today, Dylan Camacho, and today I've got the one, the only, the king, the MVP of other hosts on the show. This is Nat Boo. That's me. How are you doing, Dylan? Uh, you know, honestly, I've, I've been better. I've yeah. been better. This quarantine has been pretty whack overall. We haven't been getting sh- we haven't been getting a bunch of schmodown because they can't record right now. Mm-hmm. So we're uh, we're we're covering it, man. I feel like I'm a hyena in the Lion King. It's like, where's the scraps? Like I need to be able to talk about something, and we're only getting like a match a week right now. Yeah, it's not the funny. It's like every movies, TV, video games. The last uh-huh. time we just got delayed today. It's all bad. And then obviously, like people dying is bad too. I don't want to downplay. And on top of all of it, people are actually dying. Like, yeah, uh, yeah no, it's it's a pretty brutal time, which is why I'm hoping that this can bring some sort of entertainment to everybody at home who is also stuck in quarantine, like us, for the foreseeable future. Um, but let's. What are we talking about today, Matt? Well, first of all, Dylan, uh, <laughs> where, where what does AAA stand for? Today, AAA stands for abstinence after adulthood. Oh. You don't believe in sex here at AAA. Nope. Yeah. I. Wow. So that's what it stands for. Man, I just didn't know. But yeah, total abstinence, guys. We are a <laughs> no sex show, I guess. If you want to sex, go to Pornhub. They're giving out a free month of premium. So yeah. not here. Go, go check Pornhub Premium, I guess. That's not a phrase I thought I was going to be using on the show, but this is what happens when you give us cabin fever and you let us go live, everybody. <laughs> uh, I swear we had more viewers, but since that plug, which we are not sponsored by Pornhub in any way. Maybe someday. Maybe so. You know what? I would take that sponsorship. I would take okay. it so fast. They, they do a lot of good charity work, but that's way off track of what we're talking about right now. So, uh, so yeah. the first thing we're going to be talking about is How's my kayfabe? Which is, if you didn't know, is a segment where we we break down a character's kayfabe. They're like they're in character work, and we look at who they are, their small down persona. Mm-hmm. So who are we talking about today, Dylan? Ooh, today we are picking the meatiest of people. We have got the butcher boys on the block, and we're gonna just dig deep into this kayfabe because we've got new, we've got two fresh new heels right off the press. Well, really, like one fresh heel and then one, uh, you know. Just person on a heel team, just playing it really chill. Uh, but yeah, let, let's talk about it because we got Vinny, who's clearly, no pun intended, on fire, right? Yeah, I mean, okay, well, first of all, I want to, it's interesting that you mentioned them as a heel because, like, do you see them as a heel team? So it's kind of hard for me not to see them as a heel team because they have Kaiser attached to them, right? So yeah. by default, they're already like, my schema for that, that's a psych word that says this is how I categorize them. Mm-hmm. Like, they're already built as heels to me. And then you get Vinny coming in uh, just being as, how would, I, how would I describe him? Very Razor Ramon, right? He's a toothpick oh. away from just being very slick back hair, all attitude, ready to go. Yeah. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I have to see him as a heel because he's doing heel tricks throughout the whole episode or throughout the whole match. Mm-hmm. Um, his partner, whose name is totally eluding me right or now. Mugen. Mugen, yes. Uh, yeah, his is a little TBD. I wouldn't go as far as to say that he's a heel just yet, but he's definitely a member on a heel team. What are your thoughts? Uh, 
you know how much I hate tweeners, but I feel like this team is definitely a tweener. Because, like, the, the dungeon to me is the most eclectic group of people in the Schmodown, I think, mm-hmm. in that you can't really pin them down. Like, Smets, I know he's he's claimed that he's a tweener, which yeah. I, I could see. Yeah. Um, Robert Parker has, has a bit of an edge to him, but the guy's so nice. I mean, I think he's a tweener, too. Video Drew, you can't put her in a category. She's, like, yeah. She, they they are kind of making a like faction of unspectrumed people, right? Like you can't yeah. put them in, like in the face category or the heel category. They want to be somewhere in the middle, which I think is pretty brilliant gameplay wise because that lets you just be whatever you want to be while also having the advantage of using healed cards whenever you want to. But then you can play it face if you really need to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's really interesting. Like to me, they're not. They're definitely not baby faces. Like we can put that, no. but they do do heelish stuff. I think they're heelish tweeners to me. Because like I mean, yeah, I mean, to me, Vinny Mancuso. I w- if I could compare him to anything, any wrestler. If for all my AEW fans out there, I think he's a tweener, uh, Orange Cassidy, and that's probably just because the sunglasses and because of the, the denim. But I mean, they have they have kind of like a chill vibe to them. They're not like in your face trash talk. They they will like talk over you when you're answering a question, which is a heel move, I guess. I mean, yeah. Like, how do you explain? Like, how do you explain his? I don't even say. I don't even say Vinny's tweener. I think he is straight up in the heel category. Like, he's been the most transparent about where he's at on the spectrum, and that specifically goes to the moment in the match where he's baiting um, Silver Streamy and Goddard to talk to him while they're getting their question asked, like. Mm-hmm. Whenever they're sitting there and he's bantering and they're like going back and forth with him or whatever, I'm like, no, that's full heel. Like you, I will fight to the death on that one to say that it's not otherwise. Yeah, but it's hard for me because the the pride they're they're a heel team too, yep. and I don't know, like trash talking a heel team, you can be anything. Babyface is trash talk heels, tweeners trash talk heels, heels trash talk heels. So I I think I would need to see like more matches from them. To like really pin them down, but tonight, right now, I can go either way between heel and tweener. Like I'm right there in the middle. And I think that's fair because context is everything, right? Like this is on paper. If you're quickly looking at this, it looks like two heel teams going against each other. Mm-hmm. Which, for the record, has been one of the first times we have a heel versus heel match in what feels like a very long time. Um, but then as I'm kind of looking at it, I guess I haven't seen the context of a heel versus heel match in a while. So it kind of just plays off on we have the Butcher Boys going in, clearly trying to get a feel for their character. This is their first match, so they haven't got a chance to lay the groundwork for what their team is doing. Mm-hmm. Um, from what I've seen, I feel like it's more, it's that very traditional heel, at least from Vinny. Um, Owen seems to just be playing that, that calm, quiet, calculated player who's just going to be getting the work done behind the scenes. Yeah. Um, but then, yeah, whenever you're going up against Goddard and Rachel, I think that's a really interesting point that they're they're clearly being advertised as a heel team, but if that'll stick, I think is to be determined because a lot of drama came out of this match and into the throat or, yeah, into um, backstage this past week where they really got into it and saying, you know, Rachel really didn't enjoy the, the banter and all the stuff that was going on and Goddard. He was doing stuff that he felt was traditional heel work, but you know there was still a lot of complications along the way, and you could tell that they were just more frustrated about the whole deal after the fact. But we're not here talking about them. That's just here to say, I think this will be a really interesting match to look back on because I think that they clearly both had an idea of what their characters were are going to be as a team, 
and they planted their flag, but I, I think there's going to be some wiggle room in these next couple matches. Yeah, I would really like to see how they act when they play a babyface team because that, that to me is, is where you, you'll definitely know. Because, like, in wrestling, you always, most of the time, you have a heel and a babyface playing each other. You need, the crowd needs to someone, someone to cheer for. And in this match, I, you don't, you can't really, in character, you can't really cheer for anyone. Like, outside of character, if you like one team more than the other, then, yeah, you can. But, like, like in kayfabe, there's no team, there's, neither of teams are teams that you would root for over the other, I would right. think. Yeah, and like that's the direction that they, you know that Christian is clearly thinking of. If they are both being marketed as heel teams, right? These are both people who are supposed to be booing against both of them. But I do think it's a little trickier in this match because even now they're being marketed as heels. We have Silverstreamy and Goddard, and Goddard is kind of like this very love hated character, uh, just because he's got all this banter from Sen. He's a rookie. He's got all that going on. Silverstreamy is beloved. We love Rachel Silverstreamy on this show. Oh. Gosh, so there's it's hard for listen. She could be shit talking called action on the Schmodown like live, and I'd be like, "Oh, Rachel, you!" <laughs> like we're still gonna love Silver Streaming here on the show. So it's she was definitely a clear person that I was voting for for that team going in. But it's torn for me because I also have Vinny on my fantasy racket. So oh, yeah. I, I'm already going in just being like, "All right, let's see how the cards fall." But um, yeah, Owens. Owen's performance, I think it's kind of hard to really dig into his character because it just didn't really show a lot. You, you can tell he's trying to go for that very, how would I categorize it? Like a very long, long though. Right, yeah. Like, the enforcer guy. Exactly. He's going just for the, the body on the room, right? He's just yeah. slowly putting up points in the background. He's just presence. They don't need a whole bunch of people on mics. They're just letting them run. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I think down the road, though, this is where I think we'll differ on opinions. I think you're thinking they're more tweener and they're going to go more central on the spectrum, so to speak, as they go on. I think they're going to go more heel as they go forward. I feel like you have a really good point because, like, you're looking at them as a team, as those two people and Kaiser to an extent. I'm looking at the company they keep. They're, they're a whole collective of people. And to me, like, the dungeon is a tweener faction. So that's where they fall for me. But, I mean, who knows? My mind could change depending on how they act in the next match. Right. Now, it's going to be super exciting to kind of see how this, this team develops and how the Pride develops because that's a team that's, especially with all the backstage info that we've got on after that match and just all the struggles of that, I'll be curious to see if they stick with their with the heel concept and that they don't start actually going more tweener. I think they'll reach tweener with that one. Um, and that... The Butcher Boys will initially start trending more heel just to kind of get away from the curve. But I don't know. I think this, you know, after seeing this match, I have to say, like, when's the last time we had a heel versus heel match in Schmodown? It- I've been thinking about that since you mentioned it, and I, I don't remember, but they're always a treat because we had called Ash and Love heels. We love the trash talk and everything. And to have two teams that are just despicable fighting against each other, that's what I like to see. Yeah. I can't remember the last time. Yeah, give me deplorable mud slinging all day, every day. Like, that's yeah. the best. Um, I, I think the closest that we might have kind of, it's not really faced, but it, the one, the match had a room for a lot of banter that decided to go the other day. Yeah, you fucking was, say Chandru and fucking Hitman. <laughs> that is a match that could have gone one way and decided to go the other. I think Chandru is the other spicy member of the 
where is he on the spectrum today thing, but we're not talking Chandru on Kayfabe today. We are talking Butcher Boys as we start to wrap up on that. Owen Mugen, what's everybody thinking in chat, though? I want to get these decisions on here. Stardew just joined in. Hey, gang. Hey, Stardew. How you doing? Hey, um, Megs, our wonderful statistician on the show, said Butcher Boy had moments. Owen needs to develop more for me to decide. That's fair. Yep, that's fair. Um, that. Butcher Boys overall with feeling more of a heel with those moves. I completely agree. I think their actions spoke very heelish. Owen very much is just wanting to sit back and play it out. Mm-hmm. Um, Lucas mentioned earlier, I just joined and Dylan was telling his audience to go check out Pornhub Premium. Uh, oh, that was Nat telling you to go check out Pornhub oh, Premium. Yeah. I was just telling you that we weren't sponsored by them. Go <laughs> check out the beginning of this video to see why we were talking about that in the first place. <laughs> um, I mean, it's quarantine and you need something to do. So uh, Yeah, man, whatever. We don't believe in sex here, but I guess we do <laughs> pornography. We don't believe in sex. We believe in watching sex. Yep, that's... Man, this show is going really off the rails. No wonder we're <laughs> abstinence after adulthood. There you go, guys. That's what AAA Live stands for today. No, every week. Uh, where do you guys think that they're gonna? The boys are gonna go. The old butcher boys. Are they gonna go more heelish? Are they gonna go towards the center? Are they gonna do a face turn on us randomly? Let's find out. Um, hmm. Hit us up in the chat. Let us know what you guys think. We're gonna go ahead. Oscar said, "What the fuck?" Which is fair. Yeah. Fair reaction. Yeah, sup guys, what the fuck? Yeah, I mean, you tune in for the right show for that comment, so that's usually fair. Um, Nat, any other last thoughts on, on Kayfabe before we decide to move on? Yeah, but I mean, like I said, I'm, they could go either way to me, like heel or tweener, but I'm super curious to see which way they lean. Right now, I don't think we have enough to go off of, but their character work is great for for their first match, and I'm interested, yeah. interested to see. You know... I'm thinking that they're going to go more heel just because I think that's more Vinny's speed. Yeah. I think it's smarter to do the middle of the road. I think it's smarter to do like the undefinable tweeners, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's kind of this category. I'm just going to make up for like your video Drews and for people like that, who honestly, even video drew was kind of more healy in her post game interview thinking about it. So she, I think she was just, she was just video drew. I mean, like, yeah. Like again, we, We've said before, she's one of these people you can't really put in a box. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. She she was tiptoeing. You got to admit, she was tiptoeing a little bit on the heel side. like. Which makes me think, like, was she ever a heel? Because, like, I don't it's, – she's a really hard character to like <laughs> yeah. that. And we've, we've tried. We've, we've done an episode. I, I believe we've done Katie on, uh, on her and Tom. Yeah, we, we've done a Looney Bin before, and the, and the brilliance of their character work, for sure. So they're, yeah. they're a tricky one, but I think even just seeing how she reacts with the Butcher Boys attached just makes it seem like it's all wanting to be, I don't know, more Healy. Oscar Romo, sex talk, abstinence. Are we offending the... You don't believe in that, Triple L? trying to offend. <laughs> you know us, Oscar. We, we're trying to get every category we can. we got to check the boxes. Now we're getting on people who abs. <laughs> or what a triple a stands for next next two weeks is going to change so don't worry about that yeah don't worry for in two weeks from now that triple a live is going to be something entirely different so we're going to be having sex on camera uh-huh what no, what no no we're not going to be doing that now. <laughs> uh don't go to subscribe to our only fans channel so without further ado <laughs> um Let's let's get into our competitors' corner, Nat. What's competitors' corner for all of our first-time viewers? Uh, com- <laughs> competitors' corner, which is basically our main. Uh, sorry. 
uh, where we dissect the character and we talk about their strengths, their weaknesses, and we basically create a guidebook for how to beat them if we were managing someone playing them. Yep. So, uh, Maggie's bringing it, boys. <laughs> we're trying. We're trying. It's the cabin fever is sitting in really hard on us. But anyway, competitor's corner. That's right, Nat. You said it yourself. It is our number one study guide for how to get into and strategize against and possibly even beat a player of the of the week every other episode, whatever. Today's episode, we are talking about the winner, spoilers, of Paulo Yama and John Roca's match. John Roca. Boom. There we go. The outlaw himself. Uh, man, and I also just now noticed you're wearing an outlaw shirt, and, that, and that's pretty on brand. That's pretty sweet. Yeah, I didn't plan it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's get into it, man. John Roca, he's been around since, like, day zero of the showdown, pretty much. Yep. Not like day one or two. Whatever. He came in, like, one season later. Um, let's go ahead and do a disclaimer for all of your people tuning in to Corner, Competitor's Corner for the first time and just want to clip this and send it to Roca to get them all worked up. So we're doing this specifically because we're picking top-tier, relevant, strong competitors who were really interesting to look at for their stats and break down and see how their gameplay is and where we can find the weaknesses where we can. So I say that going in because with all due respect, we're trying to break down how to beat John Roca. So when he looks at this later and if he tweets at us, it's nothing personal, man. It really isn't. So let's just get into it. John Roca. Um... Let's, where do we start? So we're let's look at the stats real quick because going into this match with Paulo Yama, I want to preface this and kind of use the match as a springboard. Statistically speaking, this season uh, and well, this past year, three last three sixty five days. Let me pull up this little chart thing for everybody. Boom, we've got so all of our stats are relevant from March two thousand nineteen to March two thousand twenty. That's important because you're seeing the four and one record yep. with the uh, founding fathers. They've obviously lost twice to corruption, but that match is before March of last year. We only look at the past 365 days. So, Stardew, Outlaw is really tough. You weren't kidding, but he makes a really interesting topic for this one, because today we have John Roca against Paulo Yama as a discussion point, and statistically speaking, let's let's look at his stuff here. Um, I'm skipping way ahead where I need to be on that. Let, let's stick right here. Let's stick right here. Let's stick right here. So, statistically speaking, going into it, he's ranked under Paulo Yama for most of the round one, round two, round three stats. Paulo Yama has better stats than him overall, so if we're looking at just the raw numbers, uh, it's a Yama's match to lose. And I don't know, what was your pulse to the match going into that, Matt? Um, I actually thought that Oyama was the underdog going in just because John Roca is John Roca. But I I felt like Oyama could have pulled it out. And I, I think he played really well. I just think like when you're playing someone like John Roca who has that aura around him, it's just really hard, like, because he's so tough. Like, he, he he's been in the game a really long time, and he's studied a lot. So you, you can't really – it's really hard to game plan for someone like him. But at the same time, it's kind of easier because he's been around for a while, and there's a lot of game tape on him. So – and and Paul Yama is the type of person who studied. Like, he's a super fan. Mm-hmm. He's he always – he's seen all of John Roca's matches multiple times, I would assume. So, I mean, I, I, I gave Oyama the edge coming into it, but I'm not surprised that Roka won. Right. And I do think it's pretty interesting. I'm kind of there with you. Like, I I, I don't know. I was I was on the side where I just saw him come off his tag match um, with, you know, the final exam. And I think that he had – I feel like he had some spice and 
and some some pretty heat to bring into this singles match, right? You know, he'd, mm-hmm. he'd gone down pretty hard at Spectacular, and I think that that kind of had some, you know, some redemption arc to him ready to build. But you're right, though. John, has, John Roca has this very double-sided thing where he has a lot of footage out there, a lot of details, but he's always improving, so it is kind of hard to keep up with what's relevant. Yeah. Um, I can guarantee you you're exactly right that that Paul Yama could have came on this show and run this whole segment already because I guarantee you he has all that info written down or written or watched or already kind of digested, right? Mm-hmm. But it says a lot to take aside the statistics for a little bit and say, well, there's just pure experience and, and Schmodown magic attached at times. Um, yeah, Meg's in the chat. She's given our more deep thoughts on this. The outlaw has been a little touch and go, but since his teams this past year, he's really gotten more filed, more filed, uh, dialed in. Um, depending on which Roker we got, you know, 100%. Depending on what Roker we got, it could have made a big difference because we, I would say right now, Roker's like 80-20, which is a pretty good percentage for him. About 80% of the time, he is champ-level John Roker, and he's playing it like lights out. 20% yeah. of the time, we get a Roker who's just going to lose in the three-way match or in uh, the fatal five-way manager bowl, right? Like mm-hmm. these performances that just maybe aren't his best and all that going on. So there's a little bit of inconsistency, but he's clearly been working on it. There's a little bit of inconsistency, but I think Roka on his worst day is still better than most people. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, even Roka on his worst day still beats at least 60% of the show going yeah. on. Um, and that's including all the rookies and stuff going in. But Looking at his averages, round one, he's coming out like about six points, six to seven, um, singles versus teams. Um, round two, this is important. For us, we like to break down the strategy on how to make somebody feel uncomfortable. So round one, six to seven points, uh, I mean, that's pretty solid in that top-tier level competition. This is usually the Ben Bateman description of what defines like a top-tier competitor. They're consistently getting six to eight points in round one. Going into round two, um, we're looking at strategies on should you go first, should you go second. He tends to be a person who chooses to defer. So that's the age-old trademark team action move where you sit there and you strategize in round two. Say, all right, I want to go second. I want to see how much I can get by with. And I think that is very Roka because I think about I think about his matches and often feel like that. I was like, yeah, I feel like he was losing for a little bit, and then he just kind of come, comes back in round three. Yeah. Right, he does. I feel like I see him go to a multiple choice more often than not in, in round two categories, unless it's something that he just crushes. And mm-hmm. I remember thinking, like, man, he's really losing steam in round two, but then round three, he just comes in and steals it, like 2%. And his percentage, I, you know, it says 33% from this past season and singles, 100% for his, you know, three pointer. He's given that five to Dan Merle and teams, no doubt. Um, well, in five, they collaborate, so it doesn't make a difference anyway. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think these round three stats are, like, misleading because as as I think about it, I'm like, I feel like he's always getting by on his five-point round, like, five-point questions. Am I imagining that? Like, uh, I think you might be on it. I think I feel like he does. All right, but that's that's perception. So let's get into the reality. We're not doing that segment today, but that's what we're referencing. So let's just break <laughs> down John Roke in a nutshell, guys. We got his strengths. We've got eighties. We got drama. We got directors. We got westerns. We got Clint Eastwood, which I don't know why he isn't also just westerns, but I get it. I guess he does other non-western stuff. Um, but yeah, his strengths. This westerns and Clint Eastwood makes sense. Like that's a big Venn diagram. There's a bunch of like has to be westerns in Clint Eastwood's category. Yes. Um. Looking at his weaknesses, now, I think these are really tried-and-true weaknesses for the most part uh, on this past year. Animated, movie release dates, 
even famous actors and actresses, which keeps coming up for like this top tier competition, and that's just such a hard category to deal with, I think. Um, but you know, we were bantering a little bit before on sports and action adventure as a category weakness here, and we think that's kind of interesting because I I don't know, Matt. What are your thoughts on those two weaknesses? It's definitely surprising to me because John Roca is a big sports fan, but I guess that doesn't necessarily translate to sports movies. Right. So I I guess. I mean, I don't. It is very surprising to me that, and with action adventure too. Like, that's such a a broad category. It was like, I mean, even Team Action and Sweep the Board when they they spun action and adventure. So it doesn't surprise me that he doesn't do well in that. This surprised me a, a lot that he doesn't do well in sports. Right, and I'm kind of there with you. He's a big enough sports fan, so these are clearly the categories you want him to be nailing on it. But I don't know. Like, it's just something in my gut doesn't feel right with. Sports like with sports and maybe that's just performance and it's just I, I think it's one of those big enough categories where you can just hit a couple of these dud movies that even if you watch sports movies you're like i never watched this golf movie like you know or like why is a happy gilmore question in here all of a sudden you know like it could have been a random deep cut happy gilmore or something like that there shouldn't because there's an adam sandler category i believe now but you know we get the idea so guys I, if I, we're going in the round you go ahead now sorry i gotta tell you like the thing that surprises me the most is movies or release dates because movie release dates is something that you can easily study for, and John Roca studies a lot, so right. that's the one that's the glaring weakness for me that I just can't believe. Because like, th- I mean, look at Ben Bateman; he's he studies more than anyone, and he has that category locked down. Mm-hmm. So it, it really surprises me that because you don't actually have to watch the movie; you just need to know when it came out, and that's right. probably more. Um. Yeah, and I think you're exactly right. This is one of those strange categories that, you know, you either put in the time to study it or you don't, but it feels like a pretty big glaring... I don't know. This is also one of those categories I feel like that if you study, it's such a great strength because there's so many people who are just taking it for granted, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, And at this point, like, we've got Bateman, we've got... I I think a lot of the IG players are getting pretty good at this just because they do it for all of their IG movies. So if we look at Kalinowski or something like that, they could probably do pretty well movie release dates. Um, Roka said recently I'm backstage and he's studying it right now. Okay, so... That, so don't uh, give me anything. Right. Um, there's multiple... Uh, Meg also points out that his multiple choice percentage is usually pretty solid, so... Right, and when you get into sports with, you know, multiple choice, he could, when he does defer that, he tends to be nailing it, which is why even at his weakest stuff, he's still getting it two out of three times. Um, you're looking at this stuff. The worst thing he's got on there is movie release dates, which he knows is a weakness, hence why he's mentioned studying it. And in famous actors and actresses, I honestly think that's just a 50% category most of the time anyway. Because um, there are so many famous actors and actresses. Right. But, I mean, looking at the past year, guys, like, this is the these are the categories. If you're spinning, if you're against John Roca and you're really wanting to get the edge on him, you see these categories on the block, yeah, you want to give him this. He gets spinner's cho- or opponent's choice. You want to nail him with one of these, ideally at the bottom tier of this, because even, even at these top three animated action, adventure, and sports, he's still guessing pretty well to be getting two out of three points um, of this time. Even with animated, which I was for sure like was going to be a lot lower on the weakness, like accuracy. I mean, you can tell he studied that. So that says a lot. Don't give him any of these categories up here. These strengths, dramas, westerns, all those are pretty basic. 80s actually surprises me, but you know, John Rook is a little bit older, so maybe he gets to be a little bit more knowledgeable on just having that background as well. I think drama really surprises me because that's such a broad category. It's even more impressive that he gets 100% of those questions right. 
Right. I mean, it's very. That's a pretty deep category to sit there and be nailing it, but you know, maybe it could just be how many questions he actually has to answer in that category, and when they've come up, if they come up on singles or if it came up more on uh, teams matches where he had a buffer with um, Dan Merle on that one. But mm. so round one strategy. Let's let's break Dak back into here real quick. He's doing about six to seven, so you're going to want to be getting at least six. Seven, eight, and up. If you get ahead, he chooses to usually defer to his opponent. So making him go first, I think, is that uncomfortable strategy for him. Um, making him so so he doesn't know how much he can break into multiple choice and stuff like that. Um, and then you pray to the gods he doesn't just start sweeping in the round three stuff. Because round three, these stats say this, but I'm telling you, I feel like every time I watch his matches, he's winning on a five-pointer. Um, and that's, that's just my feeling on it. But kind of going in, we can break down. Here are his uh, matchups from, you know, this past year, 365-day year, not just the season. Um, triple threat qualifier, he takes out Draco on this one. You know, he does pretty well against Bibbs and Irwin, but he does end up losing in that. Manager Bowl, I remember he, he's the third to go out after Zipper and Howard. Um, spins, so only it's the three questions of Steven Spielberg. So Spielberg, I think, is one of those surprising categories as well. If we're looking at his wins, 80s. Comedy, Clint Eastwood. Uh, yeah, and the Ayala match, the Matt and Ben. Honestly, I think that's something to be looking forward to in the future to say that's a possible weakness if he ends up getting it again or spinning away from it because he didn't do terrible in it. I mean, round two, he went 4-1, and he ended up getting a steal from Oyama, but I remember thinking he didn't feel comfortable in it during that match, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that could, could definitely be something to look out for. Um. So that's going to be my hot tip going in, guys. You saw the weaknesses, and he knows – John Roca knows his weaknesses, guys. Like, that guy knows it better than probably anybody on here. Yeah, uh, that's the thing. Like, it's so hard to game plan for him because he's constantly fixing his weaknesses, and his strengths right. are always going to be his strengths. Yeah, 100%. That's Chet Cell, so we don't want to see that guy here. So, yeah, 100%. He's one of these guys who – I'm just going to keep the strengths and weaknesses up. He's one of those guys who's constantly prepping and evolving as he kind of goes along, and we've even had uh, all of his details broke down. Let me switch over real quick, because I was talking with Meg about this, and I did kind of want to get an overall look at just John Roca throughout the times, right? So kind of seeing how he's doing um, throughout the seasons. Let me pull that one up real quick. So, boom. Let's get really big on this category, right? So... Uh, from 2016 to 2019, I wanted to get a very collective view of him, uh, just to kind of see how he was working. And he still stays pretty relevant throughout most of the time. 2016, he has five wins still. Drops off pretty hard around 2017. I remember thinking that was a rough year for him. I think that was a very action-heavy year. 2018, he's you know he's got four wins, but overall it's not super impressive. 2019, I feel like he was more focused in teams and didn't really perform that well in singles overall. And overall, yeah, we see him in the accuracy. He's 2017. Stayed fairly high in round two. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, high scored five-round match. Yeah, he does great against Merle Riley back in the day. Uh, beats Bibbs on that great match in 2018. 2019, he's staying right around the top-tier competitive stuff. And then you can tell he's only been trending upwards from there. So, yeah, I mean, Roke is the kind of player, like, we only look at matches from the last 365 days for a reason. Like, you can't compare... 2020 rope or like 2017 rope or like they're two completely different players. But I mean, I, I think Meg brought up a really interesting point in our chat that not not this chat in our private chat that um that Roca has won a title every year he's competed, which is like insane. 
that is a pretty crazy stat to think about it too, because Roca, like we said, right now he's like 80, 20% consistency. Like I'd say he's 80% going to be on fire champion level player, 20% mm-hmm. less than that. But yeah, that I thought that was a more interesting stat than anything else, seeing that he continually snags a championship belt, even on the years he feels like he's been having down years. I would say that like, 2017, even going 2018, it just felt like they weren't always his best years, but he did always walk away with a belt. So I think that says a lot to say how good Roka actually is as a competitor. And, you know, I'm not here to say that he's a bad player. I, far from it. I'm telling you that's the opposite. He's a really hard player to play against. Um, but if, let's, he be, if he was a bad player, then we wouldn't be covering him on the show. Right. We don't cover bad players on competitors' corner. So, um all right, we kind of got like the basic strategy, right? Round one, it's up to the gods. You just pray for that the questions land well with you. Round two, um, you're wanting him to spin first because he's more comfortable spinning second on that one. His weaknesses, we already kind of touched base on that for a while. Uh, Kayfabe-wise, let's have that discussion because we always look at, you know, we have your in-the-game matches. Like round three, you're just, you really don't want to go Roka round three because I feel like he does seem to clutch it out more often than not and this three and five pointers, but you know, you don't get to always control that. So what are some other factors? And we've said a long time that is kayfabe a factor is that a, it can, is he prone to bind games? Now what's your thought on, on Roka with that? I think kayfabe is definitely a factor. I mean, you saw in the team action match where, where, uh, where they brought an X-Pac and I, as much as he wants to deny it, I definitely do think that played in his head a little bit, Yeah, but that was a long time ago. And Roka has been in the game a long time. So I feel like I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's able to tune that stuff out. Like right. he, he knows what this is. He knows what the Shmonan is and he's a professional wrestling fan. So I think he, he has a better understanding of what heel work is. And I don't think he's going to let that get to him. But on the other hand, he is a very emotional player and he's passionate about the league and that could be to his detriment. So, and I think that's exactly a spot-on analysis. Roka is going to be one of these players that I wouldn't say that kayfabe is necessarily super effective against because we've seen him be really good at diffusing it. Mm-hmm. I think the match I want to point in specific to that was the singles match against Andrew Guy whenever Guy was on his little hot streak there for a little bit. This was going to be like, all right, going into this match, this was going to be like a sweet match just to watch. Not even for the match, just for the character working against each other, right? Yeah. And it was... Honestly, truthfully, very boring. Like, the banter wasn't there. John Roca just did not engage with Guy. There was a couple times they even, like, even played with Guy to, like, insult Sam Levine at one point during the match or a couple times during that point. Like, you can tell he got really good at being able to manage how to deal with, and especially the action guys, uh, yeah. kayfabe work on taking the, that heelness and kind of just, you know, putting it aside. Um, that says a lot about him as a, as a, perform- as a competitor because, like, right. He's not only getting better at movie trivia, he's getting better at the whole kayfabe aspect of it too. Like he, he doesn't, it doesn't hit him as hard as it did before. Yeah, I completely agree. I do. I'll even back your point though, that although it's not effective because he's, I wouldn't say it's as effective. Here's the thing. Um, if you watch our controversial Dan Merle episode where we said that, you know, Dan Merle has been prone to it in the past, but you know, nowadays, He's gotten a lot better about working with the whole structure of kayfabe in the show. Um, I would say Roka is very much the same way. I think in the past that he suffered a lot, and whenever he dealt with heels that were of his caliber, that really did shake him, especially in his top 10 match against Team Action. As he kind of started moving forward, you start to see this new Roka where he's learning how to disengage or not to deal with it. But 
I do think there's a big asterisk there where because Roka, Roka is such an emotional player, seeing him, if he starts to get into his own head, and you can kind of see that happen in matches where you can see his morale just really starting to drop and that he's not really just answering as enthusiastically, I think if you play it in then, then you have a shot. Like, it is one of those moments where everything has to align perfectly because you can't just go into the match trying to shoot hot with him. You yeah, really yeah. have to just make him feel uncomfortable first. And then when he actually starts to crack a little bit, that's when you could do it. But I don't think even even then it's a, it's a 50-50 chance. Yeah, I mean, like, if you're going into the match and you're scoring, like, four points in round one and you're starting, you start trash-talking, that's not going to work. Like, mm-hmm. if, if he knows he has the upper hand, then it's not going to work. I think it's it's interesting because, like, in round two, we there we talk about there are two types of players: those who those who defer, which are the strategy players, and those who spin first, which are the momentum players. Right. And Roka, the majority of the time, he speed defers, right? Yeah, so he's a strategy player. I think, I like that's that's the smart way to go about it. But it's surprising to me that he's not a momentum player because he, I think he rides on momentum really well. And when he doesn't have it, then you can. I feel like there's a decrease in his, his performance. So I have a theory about that, you know, because I feel like before that he might have, I don't have to step in front of me, but I feel like that you're exactly right. He's one of those emotional players that feels like he runs with the momentum. So it is strange to see that he's gone to being a pick second in round two. And I wonder if that's not an adjustment for him to say, you know what? I, if I try to go ball to the wall round two, keep the lead and just push forward with it. If it doesn't work in my favor, it's much more likely to crush me than that. So I, I think it's just smarter for me to force myself into playing second, playing it smart, and then just working my way through the third round. Um, mm-hmm. I wonder if that's not a personal adjustment for him, because I think if you're if you're Roka and you're looking how to improve your game, and you say, you know what, the momentum is great when it works, but when it doesn't work, I just feel crushed and I'm emotionally defeated going in round three, and he knows that's more dangerous. I think that's kind of like a, a strong mindset of thinking why that he plays it a lot safer in round two and goes for the strategic approach. So... Cumulatively speaking, guys, let's let's get into this. All right, round one, you need to be ahead of Roka. You at least need to be tied, but if you really want an advantage, and this is a stupid thing to say, of course the advantage is you have more points, you have more advantage. But if you want that mental edge on Roka, have an advantage and hope that he just tanks in round one because that's when he's going to be more prone to some of the more mind game stuff. So when I say prone, I'm not saying it's going to work. I'm not saying you're going to win the match and that he's going to break. But he's an emotional player, and he's going to beat him. He's got to be a person who beats himself up first before you're even able to throw a punch in. Otherwise, he's going to deflect and deal with your kayfabe stuff and just shove the shine. Round one, I don't even worry about it. You play the game, and you move into round two. Mm-hmm. Round two, he's clearly learning to be a strategic player, so I think you put him in the momentum spot. If you make him go first, and you know what? If he does good, then great. Good for him. But if he does middle or worse, I think Roka is going to be one of those people who puts that expectations on himself to sit there and say, you know what? Yeah, I, I should do better than this. So if he doesn't do well in round one, then all right. Then you're starting to see that, that decline. And in round three, you're going to see a lot less enthusiasm going in with John Roker going into that third round. Third round, oh my God, I don't know. His stats say otherwise, but I swear that guy is just a a master of getting a five-pointer out of nowhere. I don't know, Matt. Yeah, I think Roker's is definitely really clutch in the third round. Uh, the stats don't show it, but I, that's how I feel. I agree with you. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, the best you can do is is, is uh, hope it lands on a category that he's not as well versed in, and just and just hope that he doesn't do that well after round two. And that's that's pretty much all you can do. You just need to keep answering questions right in round one because if you don't, then you've already lost the game. 
So what about these championship-level matches, Snap? Let's cover that before we wrap up with Roka. We go in, we have these four- and five-rounders betting rounds, right? That's that's the hot round. So we get this extra um, betting round with that. Of course, we get the, you know, like the speed round, and, but there's not really a lot of training you can do. Just be faster than John Roka. Um, betting round, do you think that you're needing to be more conservative with Roka? Or what do you think? It depends on the score, but, like, I would – think that you could be more conservative because Roka has been known to be conservative in the second round by going to multiple choice a lot. So it might be the smarter play to go conservative, but if you're, if you're like really down by a lot of points, obviously go, go high, go bet high. So this is something I'm starting to see with a lot of like the top tier players is that they're going to play it really safe. And, you know, objectively that's probably the smarter way to go with it. But mm-hmm. I think that if you have, if you're 50-50 in the category left for the betting round against John Roca, I think you go all in. I think that's the one, like, this is the one time that he's going to slow play it because he kind of takes that round two strategy slow play into the betting round. He's more likely just going to say, let's do one, let's do zero. I mean, we saw him coach Dane Merle on that zero bet mm-hmm. um, against Bateman. I think you really do just go balls to the wall on this one, man, and you just go full on bet if you're, if you're half sure. Now, if you're not, then you just want to creep along with John Roca, then I say 100% you play it safe if you're not sure on the category that it gets landed on for the betting round. But if you think that you got it, I'd say trust your gut. Go all in with the points. Don't sit there and try to do one or twos or middle on the ground. Go all in because Roca tends to trend to not going full points every time. He more often than not tends to play it safe with that. And that yeah, one point yeah. could be the one that wins. That's a really That's good a point. Really to, to beat John Roca, you need to, you need to take risks. And I think there are a lot of factors to consider, like the the score at the time, and also like how comfortable you are with the category, how comfortable Roka is with the category. Like, there's a lot to consider. I I personally disagree that you have to go boss of the walls more often than that. I think you play it safe with Roka, and and just hope that you do well in the speed round. See, and I can see your point with that because Roka is one of those ones who's not going to have probably, if you're a top-tier competitor playing against Roka, you're not going to have a huge lead. Like, they're going to be pretty close, within a couple points. So, that betting round could make a big difference, but I don't know. If it's me, for whatever reason, I'm playing Showdown, and I'm playing against John Roka, which, God, I- I'm not going to be doing that well anyway. I'm probably betting all the points just to get it over with. Yeah, uh, yeah. no, I- I'm going all in, because I think any little advantage, if you have that, I think the risky plays pay off if you feel confident in the category. If you don't, then, you know, obviously you have to consider how how is Roka going to do? Because if Roka doesn't feel confident in it, he's going to bet low. Maybe you do just bet one or two against him and you do your strategy. And you say, mm-hmm. all right, I'm pretty sure Roka is not going to like this category. He's going to go zero, maybe one point. So let me go one point, maybe two points. And that's going to be a one-point difference between us, and I'm not losing that much more on the bet. Maybe you're right on that one, Matt. Uh, I don't know. This this is the this is where we, we meet that conflict on there with that. Yeah. Yo, Chris Scorpio in the house, everybody. Um, yeah, so it does get this moment where we sit here and say, all right, well, maybe we do, maybe we don't go all in on that. But I, I like your strategy against Roka. You know, the more I'm thinking about it, I think you just play it safe and just do one more point than he probably would. Yeah, I mean, it's very, it's very uh, situational, depending on who you are as a player and, like, everything else. Like, you can't, like, make up a game plan for everybody in every situation. Like, you have to, like, adapt to, to the current situation though right I mean, yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and, you know, this, that's the big thing with, uh, with this competitor's corner segment is that we always say this is kind of like a general guideline, but at the end of the day, you have to feel what the match is looking like, how it's going. These general strategies are here to help, not to help you guarantee a win. Um, Meg's teaming in with it before. I would agree before he teamed with Dan. Dan and John balance each other out 100%. I think they've done a really good job on keeping himself steady and maintained, and Dan being that comfort for Roka not going emotional, um, I, I think has done a lot to show their performance, and that's why they're, t- they're the champs right now. Um, it's, it's really unfair to their team because they, they, <laughs> right. the synergy between them is just out of this world. Like, not even just Sylvia like, filling each other's gas, but like, their personalities balance each other out so well. And you can tell they've got that that deep romance and trust with one another. They've got that team synergy that really makes a big difference on this stuff. Um, which is why I'm I'm really curious to see how John Roca's singles season kind of goes for the rest of this season because I think that's the one where he's most most prone to getting emotional, most prone to quitting on himself and and losing to matches that he probably should be winning. Um, so, like I said, guys, round one. Let's just do a recap on this. Unless you got anything else to add in here, Nat. I think there's something to be said, like, that now that he has a manager, I, I would wonder if that could help. But, like, I don't I don't know how, how well Finstock is managing Roka. Finstock is uh, managing at the top-tier levels, all right? <laughs> like, since, let's, I mean, let's look at it. Since they, he's been, okay, well, okay, that's not true. They have kind of like a 50-50 record with, with Finstock. But, um... <laughs> You know, Finstock, we've heard notoriously time and time again behind the scenes that he's just one of these people who comes in and makes you feel good about yourself, right? He says, listen, you're the big brains here. You're the big boss. What are you going to do? You know, all right, you want to do that? Yeah, 100%. Do that. You're, you're a smart guy. I think that's exactly the kind of thing Roka needs to hear in a match. Yeah, that's how, that's how maybe that's exactly what he needs. Right. So I, I think that, yeah, having that extra little piece there makes a big difference in a, in a single season. I think that... John Roca has a success, all the tools for success in the season to really take it really far. Mm-hmm. I'm super curious to see how he does against Irwin in his rematch with him, because um, Irwin does have the W over him prior. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, I would have said Oyama statistically was looking good against Roca, and, and Roca got a magic steal and took the whole whole match away from Oyama after that. So I don't know. We'll see, man. That's going to be a spicy match to look into. If he loses the corruption and everyone, he could end up retiring. I, you know what? I would put money that if he did lose both of those in a row, that he probably would retire, Brian. I mean, he, I don't know, but that's like the longest going joke in the world, right? He'll just retire if he loses the belts and then goes this. We've been talking about Rogan retiring since 2018. I don't think it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. I think like, like no offense to San Levine. I think he's amazing. He think he's one of the greatest, but like he got out right when the wolves were coming in. Roka, right. Roka has adapted. He's gotten better with, with time, so like, I don't, I don't see him retiring. Yeah, um, I, I think if nothing else, he re- the only way Roka retires is because he wants to be a manager, and I, I think that is a very foreseeable future for him. At some point, he'll go manager. I don't think he'll ever leave the league one hundred percent though. And even then, then when he starts managing, he'll want to play again, and then I think he'll hop back into it again. So if you had to, put, if I'm putting money down right now, if he lost to Irwin and loses any of his redemption match chances, and then loses the belts to corruption, and doesn't get a rubber match again for like the fifth time or something like that, then yeah, I, I think that he he goes out, names himself to be a manager, and kind of moves on, and then he'll come back into the league afterwards. That would be my bet, but that's that's general strategy planning in the future for John Roca. We don't know. We'll see. Um, 
Otherwise, man, I don't know. Matt, you got anything to add for strategizing against Roka? I feel like we've covered all the rounds, all the bases. Yeah, I think we got all our bases covered as well uh, as we can. All right, man. Well, we did, and by we, we mean Meg for the most part. <laughs> Shout outs personally to wonderful Meg McCurley. Go follow her. Uh, what's your Twitter handle? Meg, if you're in the chat still, pop your Twitter handle. I don't have it in front of me right now. I can go in the you chat. Meg McLean? On his Twitter uh, account? Yeah, that's what it was. Can you can you type that? Can you type something like that? There we go. We're, we'll get it. We'll get it. Don't worry, guys. We're working on it. Yeah, you got it. You got it. Um. Anyway, guys, that's our show. Firstly, I want to thank everybody for tuning in, making sure you had a wonderful, positive, hopefully staving off the cabin fever time here at the Call to Action AAA Live, breaking down how to beat John Roca, or at least try to be a little bit better against him. Um, Nat, what are some plugs, buddy? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at NattyIce44. Find me on Facebook, Nat Vu. Uh, if you're bored, you need someone to play video games with, I'm on PSN, NattyIce4444. You want to play some Overwatch, some Call of Duty, hit me up. Uh, yeah, and you can find me every other week right here to play live. Yeah, I'm surprised I actually don't have you added on PSN. Right. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta add me. You gotta I, get together sometime. To. But I also have only been playing single player games, so that's probably part of my other problem here. So, yeah. um, thank you. There we go. Meg's shout out to our statistician, Megan McCurley. You can catch her at Meg's McClaims. Go follow her on Twitter. She'll do little sneak peeks for our stats and stuff like that. She is an absolute gem. She busts her ass to get all of these sweetheart stats in here that me and Matt just have to report on and look handsome while doing it. Um, we're looking less handsome as we go, though, man. We can't get our haircuts right now. It's getting wild. No, right? I need to get a haircut. I, I, Bro, I need like, oh, I'm just going to turn into, like, this chubby emo version of myself with, like, a beard. Like, it's going to be so weird. So, I don't know. I'm looking more and more like, an, like a deranged author as time goes on, right? Like, I look like mm-hmm. I'm going to be, like, I um, see it. writing like, it. Modern uh, Edgar Allan Poe. Yes, that's this black shirt doesn't do me any favors with that either. <laughs> um, I'm of course Dylan Camacho. You can catch me at Twitter at C A M A C H Octopus. Follow me there. You can catch me on all the Facebook groups whenever I decide to post. Right now, it's kind of quiet right now, guys. We're only getting one match a week. The matches are sweet, but we're only getting like once a week. We're getting drip feed here, but we can't. It's the quarantine, man. It's the end of the world. We're lucky to get matches at all right now. Um, otherwise, that's our show, guys. We do this show every other week, unless we randomly decide not to for some reason or if we get sick with not the coronavirus. So you can make sure to catch us again in two weeks from now on the 16th when we will cover... That's a surprise. We never know until we do it, like a week beforehand. So um if you got any suggestions for who you want to see pop up on competitors corner or on kayfabe where we break down their competitors uh character work in the match give it in the comments below make sure to hit that like button if you enjoyed this statistical breakdown if you're john roca please don't hit that thumbs down we respect you buddy but you know we respect you enough to put you on the show that's part of the game so um if you think everybody is a heel or everybody is a face put that down in the comments below as well let us know what you think Anyway, guys, that is our show for today. Make sure to like all that stuff, just as I said, and we will catch you in two weeks. Stay happy, stay healthy, and go. Ch- don't have any. What's AAA live again? Don't have any sex, guys. Not after adulthood. Abstinence after adulthood. There is no sex after eighteen. Nope. The That's implication a- of that really is jarring. I don't want to think about that anymore. I'm going to cut the end broadcast button because uh, just just get out of here, guys. Get out of here. That's our-